Welcome, everybody, to Let's Talk About Thrones, a podcast in which the television series on HBO, a.k.a. the only reason I don't give up my HBO, <laughs> Game of Thrones, this is the topic of our discussion uh, welcome to the inside of my brain. Uh, I'm Jenny Josephson. I am one of three co-hosts of this program, the other one being Anthony Lemos and Richard Gunther. They're both here today. Usually I'm the one that's not here. We are so far ahead. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you? You know, we are, we're, we're like on time. We are on time to be ready for the premiere of season eight. Yes, Woo-hoo. but barely. If we miss one, we're screwed. Nobody gets sick. Which, which, yeah, yeah. At, at this point, I need to start producing about five a week to catch up the production schedule. So, um, oh boy, we'll see how that goes. You know, I'll edit some if you want. I'll I'll take that on. Um, okay, so we have two episodes to talk about today with huge rapidity. Um, and one of them is Sons of the Harpy, and the other one is Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Uh, now. Uh, you sure? Oh, you guys, you said 505 and 506. Yeah. yeah. 505 is kill the boy, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me take that again. <laughs> Can I take it again? Yeah, but we might just leave it in there anyway. Oh, okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Game of Thrones. Let's talk about Thrones. Anthony, Ethan, Lemos, McCain, I don't know, Richard Gunther. This has gone off the rails. <clears throat> We're talking today about episodes 505 and 506. Uh, kill the boy. Am I crazy? Yeah, kill the boy and unbound, unbent, unbroken. Today, I thought it was my day, not my day. Okay, let's talk about Daenerys Targaryen, shall we? Didn't we? We've just had an attack by the Sons of the Harpy, right? Mm-hmm. In which poor Sarah Barristan Selmy, my favorite old white guy with white hair, uh, has been killed, and Missandei is watching over Grey Worm, who was wounded. He's pretty pissed that he let. His friend Barristan Selmy die. Meanwhile, Daenerys is doing what I like to call a little bit of dragon flexing. <laughs> so she rounds up all these families from, what is it, Marine, and brings all the big families of Marine into uh, the place where Rhaegal and Viserion are chained up, right? And these are some pissed off dragons because they don't want to be locked up. Yeah, and they're probably hungry. Yeah, I would imagine they're a little hungry, right? You can't just go flying off and get yourself a small child and in take and small child takeout. <laughs> so we've got the Unsullied kind of behind them, just kind of slowly pushing them towards the dragons, right? And Daenerys is giving one of those subtle, not subtle speeches about you know, how mothers never give up on their children and all this stuff. And then one of them gets too far forward and is burned and eaten. Uh, Graphically, mind you, he's actually like grabbed by both the dragons, ripped in half, and then they just go proceed to gobble him up. Yeah. Um, So, you know, that was cool. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was cool. So then there's like a little bit between Miss and Day and Grey Worm, and you're starting to see the evolution of their Relationship. caring about each other. Yeah. About care, the, the way that they care about each other. This is actually refreshing in my mind because it's the one relationship that guarantees it can't be just about sex. Yes. 
And they actually accurate. still care. I mean, it depends on how you define that word, but yes, generally speaking, quite accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's a little bit about the fighting pits, right? You've got Daenerys really Basically giving in. Yeah. Like she's just as like Well, she she has this conversation with Masande about uh what do you think I should do? You know, uh, uh Selmy preached pre- peace in, until his last morning when he died. Others are saying to uh, squash it and make them make them bow beneath your feet kind of thing. And she asked Masande, like, what do you think I should do? And Masande yeah. says, I've seen you you take your uh, your advisor's opinions and I've seen you turn them down because there was a better option only you could see. But I'm not qualified to make the decision for you, but I have faith that you will make it the right way. Hmm. And she says, okay, well, let's uh, let's compromise. Let's go in the middle here. So she marries, or she says she's going to marry uh, the one like remaining major family of Marine. Who, if you think you can pronounce his name, his Dar Zolorak, the Lorax. Mm, I totally I guess. forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it all was. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Never mind. Um, <laughs> Daenerys keeps thinking she's going to get married. Let's see. Who? Wh- where would we like to go next on this tour of? Of Winterfell, what what moves you? Mm, why don't we just have a little side ride with Brienne and Pod because it's pretty oh, short. Okay, it is. It is. so yeah, so basically they're trying to find Sansa. They're in the inn. It's an inn near Winterfell, and right. they are trying to get um, a message to Sansa. Yeah, and th- this is really she goes and uh, Brienne sees the. A servant or whatever that comes to her room to fluff her pillows or whatever, and he's she's like, "Who do you serve?" And he's like, uh, "The Ramses control Winterfell." She's like, "Yeah, but who do you serve?" You know, I, I still serve Lady Catelyn because of this and that and that, and it doesn't release me from my from my honor oath because she's dead. Um, I, yes. need, I need to get a message to Sansa, and then a little while later, an, an old lady comes in to freshen up or cha- change out uh, Sansa's chamber pots. She closes the door, tells Sansa that if you ever need help. Um, just light a candle in the north northernmost tower or the old tower or whatever, and she basically says you've still got friends in the north, and she leaves. Yes. So basically, you know, Brienne is wise in many ways and knows that just because some douche named Ramsay Bolton is in charge doesn't mean the people who have served Stark since before there was a wall are necessarily just going to be like, okay, cool. And also, especially <laughs> if there's a real Stark floating around. So they're setting up this situation where this relationship is going to start to develop. Meanwhile, just up the road, Ramsey Bolton and his trashy trash bucket, whose name I guess is Miranda. Miranda. Who yep. could not look more basic. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that is the point of it. They're having like a bedroom conversation, even though that is not what I was advised with Ramsey Bolton. And she says she's a little bit jealous of his upcoming marriage to Sansa Stark, and he basically is like, you know what happens to people who bore me, Clarice. Uh, And, yeah, so she's like, yeah, I do. Never mind. Very nice. Yeah, I had in my notes, Ramsey reminds us that he's a sick asshole. Mm. Yeah. That uh, that's that's not uh, that's not too bad. Yeah, that, that that sounds about right. And then Miranda goes and ups the stakes a little bit by taking Sansa to the kennels, where Theon slash Reek is uh, dwelling. So now Sansa sees Theon, 
Yeah. Or most of him. Yeah, yeah, what's left of him. Which then brings up an interesting dinner. Oh, God. Oh. You guys, can you guys talk about it? Because I don't want to talk about this. This upsets me. This whole Ramsey Bolton situation, we're coming into a period of Jenny's great upset. Fair. This only gets worse in these yeah. two episodes. It only yeah. gets worse after these two episodes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it just gets worse. So uh, I'm going to respectfully ask that someone else carry the water on, on, on the Ramsey Bolt storyline. Okay, uh, Richard, why don't you uh, tell us what you saw and then I'll help you get through it. So I I catch a couple, you know, more of the Ramsey's domination of Theon and Theon basically confesses, if you will, to Ramsey that he saw Sansa and Theon forgives him for seeing Sansa, which I thought was just a, like, wait, what? Um Okay, whatever. I guess that was a forgivable offense, but thank you. This, this is this is classical um, uh, 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 cycle of abuse, is what this is. Yeah, yeah, by definition. And, so, and then speaking of forgiving, when they're all together, Sant or Ramsey forces Reek to apologize to Sansa for killing her brothers. I'm sorry I burned your brothers up. Yeah. Yeah. This dinner is interesting because it's got Roose Bolton, his new wife from from uh, 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 the twins. Who's apparently pregnant. Theon comes in. It's this big, big hoodoo. And then, of course, Roose announces that they're pregnant. And that sets Ramsay off because now what, what happens if he's not the first in line anymore? Because uh, Roose does make a point to say that uh, it does look like she's carrying a boy, according to uh, the, the maester. And, well, th- that whole conversation is just really shitty. And, man, it, it's it's really good scene. But the entire time, my hair is standing on the back of my neck. And it's like the third time I've seen this scene. Yeah. I just, ugh. So, let's, get to, let's go somewhere else. So, let's, let's just get this part over with. Um, so Ramsey, uh, Ramsey says that uh, Theon will walk uh, Sansa down the aisle because she he's the closest thing to a living relative she still has. And and how is that? Like, how in any way does he equate to something like a relative? Because he's the one who killed your relatives? Well, because they nothing, grew up together, I, I, I guess, if you don't count the killing of the relatives. Uh, I know. Okay. I mean, are you expecting a, a nice decision from Ramsey Bolton? I was just wondering. Yeah, this, this, yeah, is, this no. is just another power play on... This is, this is really his, what it is. his first power play on Sansa... And another big power play on Theon. So mm-hmm. that's that's really all that is. And now that they have that announcement, they announced the, the she, that uh, Roos's wife is pregnant. Okay, cool. And now they're going to go and uh, Roos and Ramsey are having a little conversation afterwards where Ra- Roos basically says, you, you dishonored yourself at dinner. Don't dishonor yourself again. And Ramsey wants to know, how can you tell? She's so pudgy. How can you tell she's pregnant? And how could you find it is, is one of the things that he says. So now you start to see a little bit of a disparity between the intentions of Ramsey and Roos, which will culminate later. But yeah, that's the, the, the seeds of Ramsey's uh, dismi- dismissal of everyone around him has basically been fully sowed at this point. Yeah. 
Are we done? Are we done? Can I check back in mentally here? Well, yeah, we're kind of done unless you want to take the Ramsey story to its nope. end in these nope. two episodes. Nope. Let's just save it for later. This is the one <laughs> okay. time I'm going to say let's save it for later because it's so awful that we're going to have yep. to really talk about it. Okay. Let's go to the wall. Yeah. Okay. We like the wall. This is the scene where the title of the episode comes in. Yes. As John sits down with, uh, well, he interrupts um, Sam and Mr. Eamon and says he needs to speak with Mr. Eamon alone and tells Mr. Eamon, look, I I have a difficult choice. And Mr. Eamon says, make it. Kill the boy so the man can can be born or whatever. And (laughs) John's like, you don't even know what the choice is. He goes, it doesn't matter. I trust you. You're the Lord Commander. There's a reason I voted for you, you know? Yeah, and then we get into happy stuff because this is the first great conversation between John and Torment. Mm-hmm. But wait, can I just say one thing before we get into that? You know what I really loved about this that was a tiny detail and I loved it so much is how when he interrupts Master Eamon and Sam, he's Sam is reading Master Eamon a letter about Daenerys. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you forget that they're related. Right. And <laughs> she's his grandniece and he's... um. You know, like that's just like a such a rich little detail that does not get followed up on that I really love. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt because. No, yeah. not, not only do you forget that, that if you're me, you didn't even catch that right. before. Right. Anyway, so Torment. <laughs> Torment. Uh, this is a beautiful scene. This is when Torment's personality really starts coming through because you kind of have a baseline before this. Um, and now you start fleshing out his personality, which is great because he is a, a, a fun character to follow. Yes. Tormund is, you know, like every once in a while, like obviously Tyrion was immediately a fan favorite and in a sort of like weird culty way. But right. Tormund is the first like, like Brienne was immediately a favorite in that way, uh, which will be ironic shortly. And but Tormund is just like everybody. There's not a person who doesn't love Tormund Giant's Bane. Right. And so John basically says, like, go back, tell them that I'll open the wall for them and give them the land south of the wall if you fight the White Walkers when they arrive. And that is like that could not be a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for Tormund, he's basically telling him, "Well, you're you're ba- you're a big show off right now. It's really easy to say these things to a man in chains and this and that." So John immediately removes his chains and doesn't back down from him. And you can see the respect. Like like I don't I don't remember who it is that that's doing the acting for Tormund, but you can see he, he his face displays the change of attitude and the and the amount of respect that he gains from John just at that moment. Yes, um, his name is Christopher. He, he you. I'm sorry. Hivju? No, that's not it. Anyway, uh, he's really good. He's a really good actor. And the, the, um, the, the condition of doing this is that John has to come with him. Right. Um, cause Torment basically says, I'm going to need ships. And John's like, well, I'll just convince Stannis to let you use his ships. And then Torment's like, well, how do we know the, the, the ships aren't just going to get torched as soon as we open the, uh, the uh, enter the open sea. And yeah. you're going to come with us to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, so it's a big it's a big leap of faith for both of them. Mm-hmm. And and some clever jockeying, like they both they they both 
played their plays very well in a way that, from from my perspective anyway, gives them both kind of what they want. Mm-hmm. Even though Tormund doesn't necessarily want to have to do this, mm-hmm. I think he realizes that the Wildlings really have no choice. And here you have a, uh, a canyon of understanding. Because when John talks to the uh, the Night's Watch and tells them the plan, everyone is up against it. Even people that that really support John are against this plan. They don't like it. They're, they don't support it. But then Tormund, he already knows what's north of the wall. He's seen it firsthand. He's experienced it. He's seen his people die and come back to life because of the White Walkers. So he already knows what's going on up there. And his turnaround on it, his understanding that this is the best course of action comes a lot quicker. You know, within yeah. within a minute or two in this conversation versus the Night's Watch still fighting because, oh, we're against the the others or the uh, the the wildlings and stuff like that. They don't understand the wildlings aren't the threat. The wildlings yeah, are just... it would be as if we were all fighting about politics and then aliens showed up. Right. And then all of a sudden the decisions <laughs> got a lot, a lot simpler. Yes. So. No, we'd still be building a wall. Never mind. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Space wall. <laughs> anyway. I mean, if you, so, want to, if you want to talk about um, all, the, all the space junk we're putting in our atmosphere, we kind of are building a space wall. So anyway. That's true. Um, hey, so... Um, can before we leave yeah. the wall, can we? I, there was an awesome moment between Gilly, Samwell, and Stannis. Yes, and and I don't want to leave that because that I, I thought that was first of all you have this thing where Gilly's starting to feel like she's just not good enough, mm-hmm. and it's not really a starting to feel like she's. You can you've you've sensed all along, and she's kind of indicated that. You know, she respects Samwell, and and she uh, she thinks he's capable of all these amazing things. Now it's kind of turning around a little bit, and she's like, I, you know, I I can't do anything. Like, what can I do compared to you? And uh, you know, Samwell, in his usual way, makes her feel comfortable and tells her about the things that she's she can do. It doesn't seem to comfort her, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, part, it's, a, it's a nice, sweet attempt. So, so she he genuinely says, "Well, you can do these things that I can't do." This, this is you know, basically you've you've been trained on how to how to mend this and how to fix that and how to raise a baby and this and that. And she turns around, yeah, I can also sweep the floors and change out chamber pots. You know, like it's the things that he's impressed that she can do are so trivial to him. And she doesn't understand that the things that she's so impressed he can do are trivial to him. Like, they're, they're, they're this perfect match, and they just can't quite click it together yet. Yeah. Also, because one yep. of them's not supposed to be allowed to have sex, but minor detail. Um, <laughs> well, I thought we found the loophole to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can't, yeah. T- t- can't take any wives, but it uh, doesn't say anything about not having sex. So. That's yeah. fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Exactly. So... One thing I want to make sure we mention is that um, Tormund, I, I want to go back for one second, Tormund did reveal where most of the wildlings are, and I just want to say the name Hardhome out loud, because I did. Okay, that's yeah. all. Okay. All that's right. all. It's, um, yeah. it's, Sounds exactly like you'd think it looked. And if you're home. if you're looking if you're if you're listening to this and you have access to a map of Westeros, go take a look at the map and find Hardhome and see just how far and how north this major establishment, this major settlement is. This yeah. is not a this is not a village. This is a 
place where hundreds of people live. They've got walls, they've got barriers, and they are very far north compared yeah. to anything that you, you know, that you, we've come definitely against Craster's Keep. Craster's Keep is almost basically against the wall. Yeah. Um, th- yeah. This is way up there. Yeah. It says it's a, so, it's a, it's a one yeah. week ride, like a one week hard ride to get there. So it's, it's, yeah. it's up there. Uh, okay, so yeah, basically Stannis and Sam have a little conversation and a, and an important clue is dropped. And this clue keeps, it's one of the most subtle clues in Game of Thrones. It keeps weaving its way through the narrative, which is that Stannis wants to know how Sam killed the White Walker. And Sam says he did it with dragon glass. And then Stannis says, oh, yeah, we have a lot of that in Dragonstone. Yeah. And that's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but and, and, and the name goes from the shape of the island to what's inside. That's right. That's okay. Right. Anyway, so um, then uh, Stannis says to Davos, they're going to Winterfell in the morning. They're going to try to take Winterfell. Uh, Davos thinks, hey, maybe you should have more men like the wildlings. But Stannis says he doesn't want to wait. Uh, and he says, also, we should take my wife and daughter. Right, which is a uh, Davos wants wants to stay at the at the Black uh, Keep in order to keep the princess and the queen safe. And Stannis says, "No need; they're going with this." And no matter how how much Davos fights against it, Stannis is dead set on taking them. Yeah, that ought okay. to be fine. Anyway, yeah, yeah I'm sure it'll all work out. Yeah. That'll, that'll work let's, out great. Let's end. Let's end this moment. With um, a really my favorite buddy comedy, and this is one that we can actually take <laughs> for both episodes, so we can discuss the uh, the the <laughs> the the two moving through old Valeria, which is actually super cool. So Jorah Mormont has kidnapped Tyrion Lannister in a weird, like accidental, unnecessary kidnapping, <laughs> um, and a, a Tyrion realizes. Yeah, that they're on a boat and they're going through Old Valria, which is super cool because that's where the um, Daenerys' ancestors used to live. They were all a bunch mm-hmm. of blonde, incestuous dragon riders. And then there was a volcano. Everything exploded and only one family survived. Well, um, Daenerys' family, technically. We, we think it was a volcano. We're not exactly... Yeah, we don't know. It might have been the dragon. Yeah, according to the legends, they're not exactly sure what happened. They just know that things went boom and boom. nobody survived. Right. So um, Tyrion obviously is like super impressed. Uh, And then he's reciting this poem about the doom of Valria, which is what we just talked about. And they see Drogon, like the missing dragon. Right. Which is the first time that Tyrion has seen a dragon. And I think like every time the first time someone's seen a dragon is worth mentioning. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Um, this is this is one of those times when it's like, okay. Now, mm-hmm. uh, your 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 favorite old white man with white hair uh, before he died, he got to see the dragons, but they were small when he yeah. came into the picture. Um, so this is the first time that a Westerosi uh, has seen the fully grown dragons since they were hatched. Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. It's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, because um, Mormont was there when they were hatched, you know, so you got to see that part. And everyone else has seen them as they grew up or whatever. This is the first time that you've seen, oh, it goes from no dragons, there's no dragons at all, to fully grown, massive, holy shit dragons. Yeah. 
So the one thing about old Valria is that nobody wants to live there. So that's where they send the stone men, the victims of Grayscale. And we've seen Grayscale. We've seen it on Shireen. Mm -hmm. Um, You've seen it, I think, a couple other times, like just in passing. But basically, it's this infection that turns you... It's just so gross. So they get in a fight with the stone men and there's like a whole bunch of drama and Tyrion rolls off the water into escape, but there's more guys under the water. (laughs) And um, then he realizes that Jorah has saved his life and they both check and like make sure, oh no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then it turns out one of them is not fine. And that would be Jorah. Yeah. But he hides it. He hides it. And then uh, we're going to skip ahead to what they're doing in the next episode because it does yep. really fit together. They're now walking, right? Mm. Uh, and they're hungry. <laughs> and then, like, uh, there's a nice... Uh, this is, like... I like these episodes because strands are... This is, like, after so many seasons of setup, strands of understanding and knowledge are coming together in which they have a conversation about, like, you know, that Tyrion killed his father... And then mm-hmm. Jorah starts to talk about his father, and Tyrion says, oh, I met your dad, and now he's dead. <laughs> and that's how Jorah finds out his dad has died, which, as we remember, Gior, Gior, Mormont was the um, com- Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, and he's the one that led them north to fight the and wildlings, that- which was misplaced, and he died. Well, he, he he died in the in the rebellion or the, yeah. the at, at Craster's Keep. Yeah. The way that Tyrion tells him is that um, he says, what do they say at the Night's Watch? The the Castle Black will never again see his like. And yeah. Jorah's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> right. And the, the, you see this amazing kind of change in Jorah's facial expression as he comes to the realization what that means. Right. And then you see Tyrion realizing... You didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- so this is a moment where you have two actors, and I'm just going to say, they must go through like specific classes because they are face acting this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. And it, I've never seen a show where the face acting, like the, the amount of emotion that you can get conveyed by changes in facial expressions are so subtle and so mm-hmm. powerful than on this show. It's ridiculous. They must have a special, special coach just for these moments. It's and the really other good. thing that I note here is that this is two guys having two guys who basically are tough guys who are having a very emotional conversation. Also, one of them is the other's kidnapper. So it's sort of like this is where Even, the friendship turns. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's so many layers yeah. of this cake right now. <laughs> yeah, there's so many layers. I love it. I love these guys the most, I think. And then they get they get the uh, is that is that in this episode? I'm see yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I might have watched a little ahead because these episodes just kind of run so they just well get together. So good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they they get captured by slavers, uh, slavers or yeah. I was yeah. going to say pirates, but basically slavers. And Tyrion, as he is known to do, basically talks them out of certain death, or at least talks talks them out of killing him and reinforces to them how both of them can be valuable to them in their own way. Yeah. Jorah can be valuable because he is a past warrior yep. and he will be certainly valuable to them, but he will be valuable to them because while 
The only thing they really wanted from him was to cut off his dick and sell it because a dwarf's dick is apparently valuable for oh some God. reason. And they said, and he said, well, how will they know that it's from a dwarf? And and they say, well, because it would be sized appropriately. And to which he says, don't be so sure or something yeah. along those lines. He, he, he says, uh, how, how will they know that it'll be, it's a dwarf's cock? And he says, because it'll be a dwarf sized cock. And Tyrion turns around and goes, think again. Think again. Look, there you go. There you go. Like, what a more uh, magnificent way to say, no, I've got a big cock. <laughs> so if you want to prove to them that this is from a dwarf, mm-hmm. you're going to need the dwarf to be alive. And keep in mind, this is this is a paradigm shift between Jorah and Tyrion, because were it not for, for Tyrion's quick wit and his sharp tongue, they would not have survived this moment. He yeah. basically finagles this whole conversation in a way that is most beneficial to them surviving, and then and passes getting fast it. transport. Yeah, and, like and, he got the ride. Yeah, and uh, to go where they wanted to go anyway. And, and, and yeah. he passes it over to Jorah when he talked about Jorah being a great warrior. Passes it to him, and Jorah's kind of dumbfounded for a second, and then realizes what realizes what Tyrion's doing, and immediately spins into action, saying, "Oh, I killed so and so, you know, a Death Rider by myself or whatever." And it's like, "Oh, okay, now he's on board." And now he understands, okay, we're, we're in this together. I love these two. I mean, uh, there's only one pairing with Tyrion that I love more, and that's um, the first guy trying to bring him to Daenerys Targaryen. But <laughs> <There is. laughs> Yeah, so, all right. So I guess let's just quickly deal with um, Arya, because she's training with the Faceless Men. And my pro- I, if I may inject a note of analysis in here, um, I always find that this is a plot line that goes nowhere. Even though... Things happen and things are revealed, and I just find this plotline to be a waste. Thoughts? I can see that. Yeah, I can totally see that. Because and, and I look at it and I wonder, like, what is her motivation for even being here? Yeah. Like, of all the things she could be doing with at this point in her life with the circumstances around her, why is she there of yeah. all places? And. You know, I think that like the key, the key indicator to me is like in any one of these many, many plot lines, if you were to say Arya continues her training with the faceless men, uh, she suffers setbacks, but eventually another secret is revealed and then you don't want to know anymore, you really didn't need to see the scene. In fact, I would go (laughs) as far as to say that Arya's entire journey with the faceless men could be solved with Arya went overseas. She suffered a lot. She learned some crazy skills that P.S. we've already seen Mm. and we know what they are. And now she's back at some date in the future. Right. (laughs) And I weirdly don't think I would ever need to know any more. This is again, one of those things that they shortened down from the book. I believe that the book had Mm -hmm. a lot more detail and kind of went into it a lot more. Oh my God. It went longer in the book. Yes. I know. Exactly. It it, it went longer (laughs) in the ways of, of character development and mindset. And there's some things that they'd cut completely out of the TV show, such as visions and things like that, that aren't in the show at all. Um, that kind of keep you abreast of what's going on in Westeros during a book that is contained entirely in Essos. So I, I appreciate the training. I like how they shortened it down. I think they probably could have shortened it down a little bit more, 
but this development is important to Arya. The, everything that we've seen so far has been important to her character. And then she's going to suffer a setback very soon. And then that's going to basically recovering from that setback is what's going to take the rest of the story until she gets fully back in the swing of things. But when she does, that's when the real Arya, the, the Arya we're going to really know and love, uh, comes through. Yeah. So I agree. Oh, okay. It could have been shortened, and if the setback hadn't happened, I think she wouldn't have learned quite as much. But it's that it's that setback that really um, takes forever. Is the reason this story seems to take so long to cut through. Meanwhile, moving on to our next plot line that I couldn't possibly well, care less about. Oh so, no! So actually, there's there's still a little bit more here, right? Because the only thing that I really did get out of this is that. This is a place where people come to die. Yes. Like that's, we were wondering what the hell's going on here. Mm -hmm. Now we know what the hell's going on. People come here intentionally to die or people's families bring them here to die. Mm -hmm. And they are essentially maintaining a crypt for all of these people that come here. Oh, by the way, with trophies of their faces, a little bit of irony there, I think. And that's the end of what I would loosely consider my understanding of this situation. This was a major point in that Arya learned to, because she killed the little girl. Correct. She lied to her. She developed a, a rapport with her enough for her to willingly drink the, the water from the well, even though it was based on a lie. That right. that alone that shows that uh, Arya doesn't have doesn't necessarily have remorse for all living people and that she can kill indiscriminately, which is an important aspect of the Faceless Men. Eh, but I don't know that I would interpret it that way because these in we have to assume. Well, I'm assuming based on what we've seen so far that in if, of the cases we've seen, these are mercy killings. Yes. So I wouldn't call that indiscriminate. Okay. Well, we, yeah. we, we shall continue those lessons then. <laughs> maybe okay. maybe there's a That's reason fine. that the story goes on a little bit longer in, in the House of Black and White than, than we thought it needed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so now on to that plot line I don't care about in Doran. Uh, w- one of the things <laughs> that always confused me in Doran is just who the F is aligned with who the F. Right? Mm-hmm. So you've got a prince who's essentially, or king, yeah, a prince who's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Right? Some young buck who's engaged to Marcella, so who I guess is his son, Tristan the, Martell. The, pr- right? the prince's prince. Yeah, the prince's prince, so the son of the prince, the wheelchair, young buck, and they're on one side. But then, weirdly, there's also Ilaria Sand. Mm-hmm. And this is where I don't understand, and her daughter's, how they're related to the prince. They're, um, okay, so the prince was Illyrio Martel, uh, not Illyrio Martel, um, um, uh, Ober- Oberyn's, Oberyn's brother. brother. The prince is Oberyn's brother. Okay. Uh, the Sand Snakes, all three of them, are bastard children of Oberyn. They're all Oberyn's children. One of them, the youngest, I believe, the one that's always talking about how she's so pretty, I think she is... Um, uh, what's her name's daughter with Oberyn? Ilaria's yeah, daughter. Yes, Ilaria's daughter with Oberyn. And the other two are just other bastard children of his. Okay. So, so that that's how they're all related. Right. So basically, Ilaria... Can, can someone... Yeah. I'm sorry. I need to take a, yeah, need to really. take a note 
right now just because this this is the one point in time where I'm explaining relationships in this to Jenny. <laughs> That's because the, the, the whole Dorn subplot is clearly suffers in the TV show because like yeah. you can see that they are awesome characters, but like yep. they're not given enough and they're also given too much. If that makes any sense. Just like the faceless men. Yes, this is a subplot. <laughs> this is a major plot that turned into a subplot for the TV show that turns into a an anchor of disdain later on. It, it, it's a it's just a few scenes later on that, that will bring you back to here. But other than that, this is kind of a closed story once these few episodes end. Yeah, it's just kind of there. Yeah. And it serves one purpose, which you find out about later. So basically, um, Tristan Martell and uh, what's her fame, Marcella uh, Lannister are betrothed, betrothed, and Cersei wants her daughter back because she's, I think, a little stressed. Am I correct in this? Yeah. Okay, I didn't jump ahead. I mean, and that's why Jamie and, is going there, and Bronn are there, and again, once again, you got a good Bronn burn. Uh, <laughs> where Jamie's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to improvise. And Bronn's like, oh, that explains the golden hand, which uh, <laughs> is just fantastic. Like, nobody gets it better than Bronn. Let's let's not be uh, too coy here. Bronn is the most important and the funniest and the most interesting character to be, ever be in Dorne. 100%. 100%. All of Dorne is it's just Bronn. That, that's all that matters. Yeah. So basically, they show up and they try to get Marcella out. And then the Sand Snakes show up, I guess. At the and same time, yeah. Other people show yep. up and everybody's taken into custody. There. Yes. Yeah. That's, so if the prince's Dorn. men were basically <laughs> just talking moments before about the need to protect the, the young his couple. son and uh, Tristane. Do I have that right? No, Mar- Marcella sure. and Tristane, the, the young couple. Oh, yeah. Mar- Marcella and Tristane. Um, and then. Moments later, sure enough, everybody's fighting each other, but his soldiers stop it all and more or less sh- take everybody into custody. Yeah, and by everybody you mean Braun and Jamie, um, all three of the yeah, all three of the Sand Snakes, her girls, yep. and and then essentially, uh, Every- you know, they they saved Tris- Tristan and Marcella. Yep. Oh, the convoluted web we weave. Yeah. Yeah, it it was it was confusing. What I did find interesting, like I I don't necessarily understand why Prince Doran would want to protect that relationship. Like he seemed that, like that was important for them to be in this relationship and for the their people to protect that and make sure that it happens. The prince's sole goal in this whole thing is peace. He wants to set an everlasting peace. He does not want to go to war with King's Landing and thus with the other six kingdoms. He just sees bad things happening from that. He does not want war. Okay, so a marriage of those houses then would be beneficial. It would ensure that peace. That's his whole goal. And then they start actually liking each other and then he's all about the, the affection because that's what Dorne is about is, you know, this unbridled love with everybody so <laughs> um yeah that that's his interest is peace in the kingdom and especially peace for dorn and then this relationship that is developing between marcella and tristine okay yeah all right cool 
And then, assuming yeah. that we're going to do the weird Ramsey stuff last, yep. we have some awesome Cersei stuff. Oh, my. Yes. This is the battle of smug people <laughs> who are all about to get played. Um, but, so, so basically, yeah. Littlefinger little arrives first. The what was it the militant faithful? It's a little rough down by the sparrows. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it, it, I love Littlefinger's line here because uh, they say uh, you'll find that flesh peddlers aren't welcome in the new King's Landing, and he says, "Well, we both peddle fantasies; only mine come true, or something like that." And then he finally leaves, <laughs> and it's like, "Ouch!" Littlefinger yeah. with the sharp tongue. And then That's he a goes, little finger burn, yeah. <laughs> Peter burn. Um, then, Peter he burn. Go, then he goes to Cersei and tells Cersei where Sansa is. Yeah. And says, hey, I'm going to have the Knights of the Vale go and attack uh, Winterfell, and then you will name me Warden of the North. And she says, okay. Yeah. So this is a twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, so, and another example of how he is pulling strings. Yeah. The, and and this is his last big pull. This is the last time he's going to pull something and feel that he's fully in charge. After this, he starts getting a little shaky in his thoughts. Yeah. But so. he's basically setting it up like he wants to become Warden of the North because these two armies are basically going to beat the shit out of each other, the Boltons versus, you know, uh, Stannis's army. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, Peter Baelish wants to be the big dick in charge. Right, so he's going to bring in the Knights of the Vale, who are trained in fighting in the wintertime over and, a rough terrain. And on horseback. And on horseback. They're going to go in there and basically take out whichever of the two armies survives between the Stannis and the Bolton. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's his plan. He's going to take it, and then once he has it, he'll be Warden of the North. Of course, he's already uh, Warden of the Vale or whatever, so it's like now he's he's taking two, two-sevenths of the kingdom. Um, sounds like a good deal to him. Yeah. And he suggests, well, I should say that, say this differently. He's asked by Cersei to bring Sansa back. Sansa wants her head on a stick. Mm-hmm. He just, he kind of doesn't address that specifically, mm-hmm. but says, you know, if I can bring, if I can bring you Sansa and we can defeat them. This is what I want. And we're, we're kind of like, okay, so I thought he had this thing for Sansa. I thought even when he said he wanted to be the warden of the North, it almost sounded like, oh, wait a minute. If if she's going to be the wardeness as he suggested, and he's the warden, does he have, like, is this something where they're actually, he's actually suggesting that they might do this together? And then, it just, as she says, as Cersei says, that she wants her dead, basically, then it's like, well, what the hell is he doing then? What is he promising? Is he really going to bring Sansa back to get killed? Because, uh, wow. Keep in mind that... More of a jerk than I thought. Keep in mind that Peter's primary goal in in his whole it's, life is to establish power it, it, for himself. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, is, is getting more for Peter. Yeah, I get that. He's always looking out for number one. And this is just one more instance of it. But I thought he also wanted Sansa. Yeah, as but w- part of that wanting Sansa versus wanting power. Uh, yeah. He, okay. Because once he has I power, he can take his pick. I think it's all sort of like uh, one and the same. Yeah, it's all yeah. it's all Peter hour. 
Um, and then it cuts to a scene of Lena Martell returning to uh, King's Landing, and the horse, the horse and carriage stops. Love her, and she she looks out the window and she she says, "Oh, you can smell this shit from here. Why do we stop? Keep going." <laughs> <laughs> Love her. She sits down with Cersei and has a lovely conversation. Oh my! This is one of my favorites of the show because holy crap! Anytime you get Elena and Cersei together, there's gonna be there's gonna be words. She basically says, well, you're going to let my son go because he's currently, cap- uh, uh, the faith militant is holding her son uh, hostage or holding him prisoner because of his, his being gay. And she says, you're going to let him go. She says, well, I haven't, I'm not the one that arrested him. And she says, well, unless you want uh, High Garden's money and food to stop, you're going to let him go. And, and Cersei, I wrote this down, Cersei says, as for your veiled threats, and she responds with, what veal? Ve- veiled. Yeah. Veiled. Yeah, veiled. whatever. You, 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 say, you say potato how you want to say potato, all right? <laughs> uh, I, except that I, it's, it's never veal. <laughs> you eat veal. <laughs> anyway. So, so yeah. I mean, they were that talking was, about food. Yeah. Great, great, great lines from them, as always. These two ladies are having at it. And but the more important thing happening is that Loras Tyrell, the High Sparrow, I like to think of him as a little bit like Robert Mueller because he uh, only like, you know, for the Lord, he is interrogating all of these Tyrells about Mm. um, who uh, Loras is is bonkety bonking with. And Marjorie lies and says, I never I never saw anything. And then uh, they bring in, um, uh, who is that guy, Olvar? Um, he's a spy. That's he, it's Olivar, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Olivar. He's a prostitute and a spy. And so he basically... He, he admits that he was in there with uh, d- yeah. d- doing, doing the gay sex. He, the, and as they call it, that the Marjorie sex. sold saw that. Yeah, yeah. The Marjorie came in and she didn't bl- even blink an eye. So this wasn't the first time she'd seen such activities, and yeah. then betrays him the about how woman. how he has a dorn shaped mole on his upper thigh. Which, if he was supposed to be a squire, uh, I would think the squire would know about all the moles on the knight's body because they got to dress well, and undress. But he wasn't his squire; he was his brother's squire. Look, technicalities. You can still play that off, all right? <laughs> <laughs> could have been played off this is basically these people in my opinion that just didn't the high sparrow is just smarter than they are is what it comes out to yeah and so basically he's like oh and now marjorie's in jail yep which you know that's some stuff now you've got the queen essentially the 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 the, the new queen in jail and cersei's like yeah yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, right? Like, this just took care of Cersei's problem for now. There's a look of relief and of panic on Cersei's face at the same time when they arrest Marjorie, though. Because yeah. if, Really? I missed the panic part. If you, if you look at it, it's not, it's not the, the pompous Cersei that we've seen before. It's, it's a contorted pompousness on her face. And I think at this point she realized, well, if they can, if they can take down the queen, well, everybody knows my secrets. So I need to really keep my nose clean with this guy. Yeah. Mm, okay. That that was so subtle. I missed it. Yeah. So we are back to Sansa. You want us to take? Yeah, take it. I don't want to talk about on it. This one. I don't want to talk about. So it. in 
yet another horrible sequence of events in Westeros. We have uh, a, a, one scene where we think that Sansa might actually like be able to stand on her own, where Miranda is kind of getting her ready for the wedding and starts to say these things that uh, make Sansa realize that, oh, you just don't want me marrying him because you're in love with him. Mm -hmm. And Sansa says, so how long have you been in love with Ramsay? <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that bath comes to an end very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was actually, I took that as one of the, even though it wasn't a strong moment, like she didn't come across as her, you know, taking control of her own destiny. Mm -hmm. It seemed like one of the first moments where she really was in control. Mm. And you don't see that a lot with Sansa. So I thought, hmm, maybe this is a turning point. Sadly, no. We end up going through weird wedding number five, six. What is this? I don't know. The worst, now instead of the red count. wedding, I call it the worst wedding. Yeah, this is a such a weird wedding outside in the snow in the woods under the tree, and Reek comes in to take her out to be married. Reek says, "You know, let me take your arm." She says, "No, I'm not touching you." He says, "But I'll be punished. I was told that I needed to take your arm." She said, "Forget it." So they walk out. She said, "Why do you think I care what he does to you?" <laughs> oh, but you, yeah. but you will. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so they go out and they are, uh, they have this brief wedding thing where she takes forever to say, yes, she will take him as her husband. And I almost thought for a moment that she might back out. Mm. I was hoping, mm. I was hoping, but no. And we ultimately end up in the wedding chambers, I guess I'll call it. And Reek goes to leave, and we know all hell is going to break loose when Ramsay says, Oh, no, you're not leaving. You're going to watch. Mm -hmm. In fact, it corrects his, his gaze at one point because he was looking away. And then, then he closes the door. Ramsey confronts Sansa about her virginity, which she assures him is intact. And then he proceeds to tell her to take off her clothes. She starts unbuckling the clothes really slowly. He goes over behind her, forces her down on the bed, rips her clothes off, and rapes her. Yeah, this is literally the fucking worst. And that is the end of the scene. Yet another horrible, horrible yep. rape scene. And as is true with almost all horror scenes, uh, or the end of the episode, there was no music during the credits. Kinda yeah, because everybody's of, fucking crying. Yeah, there's kind of no point. Because holy shit. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, if, if I, I almost, again, I wanted to have even through this episode, I, or these last two episodes, I wanted to have a shred of respect for Ramsey. Mm. And obviously, no, he is a monster. And uh, that, that is 
they, they're going out of their way to demonstrate that. Yeah. Um, it, it is also important to note for those th- who, who have read the books and are, are rewatching with us, uh, he doesn't actually marry Sansa in the books. He marries a girl named Jane Poole who is posing as Arya. So, okay, I, that's interesting and weird. Right. And it's something they never address in the show. So this is all something that they fabricated for the show. Because Sansa's part in the book was basically really boring. So they wrapped her up into this because it would make better TV. And this is the scene that they came out of it with. Like, I, that, that just... This is one of those times I'd like to be in the writer's room going, no. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> no, that's like, a bad idea. Who fucking needs to see that? Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, this is my thing. I understand we're talking about a fantasy world. I understand we're talking about a medieval world in which this stuff happens all the time. But I just, like, I don't know. Like, I, I never thought I would be the one to be like, I don't fucking need to see this. Why am I seeing this? And right. I'm that person. But this is, if you're going to cut one scene out of this entire show into something that could have been alluded to, this is it. You could have yeah. alluded to this instead of going through the process. And it would be, I'm sorry, but it, I'm sorry, I've been about to rant the fuck off. It would be one thing, like, if you're going to show a scene like that, you better have a fucking female showrunner or female director or a female, I don't know, fucking anybody involved in the production. And instead, you got these two bros who are like, yeah, this is how it really happens. Let's get, like, super graphic about it. Yeah. So, great. Thanks. Thanks for that. And, and you know, you mentioned that they could have alluded to it. That scene could have ended with the door closing. Yes. Yes. Right? Like, it, it didn't need to go any further than that, oh, yeah. particularly, and you know, now I'm just getting angry, <laughs> learning that this wasn't even in the book, which yeah. is why I mentioned it to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's that's just infuriating to me because if you feel for some reason like you need to have a rape scene for whatever reason, they've already probably presented that the worst way they could with Jamie and Cersei. Yeah. Mm. You thought so? Why revisit it? Yeah. And you could look back at the at the Danny Drogo, but even that turned out to be a. Uh, it started out. <clears throat> yeah, we're getting into some. Watch out here, we're getting yeah. into some really dark territory. Uh, uh, let, want me to want me to throw on this one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. As the most qualified S- individual on the show. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. Yes, for uh, arranged marriages. And forcible rape as part of arranged marriages are part of the history, first of all, of our world, and second of all, of this Game of Thrones world. That is understandable. And yeah, the Khal Drogo scene was really upsetting and super controversial when it happened. Um, And that is a part. And then the relationship evolved. And whether you think that it's okay that it evolved or not probably goes all the way back to whether you think that Luke and Laura on the dance floor was okay. Uh, because he raped her first and then they got fucking married. Right. So right. not a big fan of that storyline. I think that's a male-driven storyline. Uh, but at least in the context of a medieval, and frankly in the case of the the, um, the Kalasar and Khal Drogo, pre-medieval. Like they live a pre... They, they do not live a medieval life. They don't have those kind of rules. Mm-hmm. They have a... Um, a hunter gatherer they're like a hunter gatherers of like the stone age practically so in the context that seems reasonable if awful however when you get to sansa the thing i think that makes it so terrible 
is how much of a sadist Ramsey Bolton is and that they put a character who started out as a child in like our conception of Sansa is as a child. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how tall she grew up on the when the show started. She was a baby. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I would have been fine. I think as a woman, I would have been fine with the door closing. Richard, you're absolutely right. This shit happened in medieval history. This shit happened in the fantasy world. Let's not shy away from the fact that this shit happens, right? However, to add in the reek part, to add in the graphic depiction, to add in all that, I don't know why you need it. Why did you yeah. need it? Why was it necessary? I mean, I know the future of all these characters, right? But you could have achieved so much of it without having a scene that's so fucking triggering to so many fucking women. That shows me that you are not talking to enough women when you're making your show. Yep. Also, P.S., the reason to me why the Cersei Lannister and Jaime Lannister scene in the, the Sept was terrible but also not terrible is that or or less terrible than this is these are two fallen in in the morality of the time these are two fallen characters right so however you feel about Cersei as an individual these two have a long history of being with each other and they have already morally fallen as characters when this scene when the rape scene happens Mm -hmm, right so you've got like weird hunter gatherer explain away you've got two fallen characters and like that is enough don't make me have to deal with this brutal de-virginization by this fucking monster right and rant no fully agreed fully agreed and the thing that really gets me is the other ones you could have you could have you could have alluded to those, but they wouldn't have had the same impact. This one clearly would have had the same impact. Because you already care about it, right. You already care right. about Sansa. You know what's going right. to happen behind that door. You've seen Ramsey Bolton do all the other things. Right. And the following <sighs> scenes, like the, the following uh, episodes, it she goes on to explain what happens anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not like it's even that much of an illusion. It's just unnecessary 30 seconds of the scene is what it yeah. is. Yeah. This is when uh, um, I would have liked HBO to have taken a little firmer hand. And I know they're edgy yeah. and blah, 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 but I didn't need it. I was wrecked yeah. by that for days. I didn't rewatch this episode. Uh, and I normally don't rewatch episodes, but there's a lot of stuff I love in this episode. And I refuse to rewatch it because I don't want to see that shit. I don't need it in my life. I don't need it in my TV shows. And right. if that yep. makes me a more conservative viewer in my old age, whatever. I don't think it's that at all. I mean, I, I just, I, in my opinion, and I, you know, I'm not a woman. I have a different perspective on this. This was irresponsibly gratuitous. Yeah. Yep. And they got a lot of shit for it when it happened. I'm just going to keep cussing. I'm just going to keep on cussing. <laughs> let, me, let me go ahead and mark on my notes uh, that this one's got an e-tag. <laughs> all right. Well, that... That actually wraps these stories. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, rather, rather unnicely. Mm-hmm. But we have two new, two new episodes coming up. Yep. Thank- 507, mm-hmm. 508. Those are next. And uh, people, can, people can let us know what they thought oh, yeah. of these episodes 
by how? How can they do that, Anthony? Let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Womp womp. <laughs> meanwhile, easiest way possible. Uh, what else? What else are we doing around here? We do some other stuff, don't we? Uh, yeah. How about you? I, I do a, a podcast called Ritual Misery every Thursday night on Twitch, and we have a lot of fun. It's two uh, old friends talking about all things geek and celebrating uh, the the most awkward way to celebrate anything. We talk about our real lives. Apparently, that's not something that happens a lot. So <laughs> Kent and I talk about our real lives and, and uh, have a lot of fun with it. Jenny, what do you got going on? I know you got things going on. You got too many things going on. I'm completely useless at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, um, So let's talk about Star Wars, which is the namesake of this. Yeah, let's talk about Star Wars. Talk about Uh, Cheers. Other stuff, Twitter, Instagram. I can't talk. I'm still too upset about the Sansa thing. (laughs) Oh, by the way, and an awesome newsletter... Oh, oh, by yeah. the way, it's coming from your awesome new company. Yeah, yep. there's that. That I will give you that. Um, yeah, okay, I do some stuff. It's fine. <laughs> Richard, how about and you? And by the way, if you happen to be a podcaster and you need a producer, um, oh, uh, that's what you do. That's what I do. I help make podcasts better. I make them sound better. I make them um, editorially better. I help you launch them. I do all sorts of stuff. Apparently, I can't figure out WordPress, but who can? And so who, how will people get in in touch with you if they want to find out more about that? Owl post. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm on Twitter. It's Jenny uh, Owls. Owl post, like in Harry Potter. Uh, Jenny J23. J-E-N-N-I-E-J23. All right, and I also do a podcast called Home On. We were just at CES a while ago, and uh, it'll probably be a while, while ago by the time this episode is out, but you never know the way I produce these shows. In any event, we cover home technology, technology that you would use to make your home smarter and uh, more enjoyable, hopefully. Hopefully it's more enjoyable. You can hear what I have to say on the internet by following Richard Gunther on Twitter. And Jenny, is that it? I think that's it. No, that is goddamn it. Okay, are we ready? 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 Let's do it. I have notes. (laughs) I have a wiki. (laughs) That's how I'm doing this. Okay. Uh, All right. In three, two, I have to cough. Hold on. I always do that. I always do that. Never be official. All right.